Let me pray, and we'll look into God's word. Lord God, it's an amazing thing that uh, time and again we have been able to come to this book inspired by your spirit and true. This book which brings life and goodness and wisdom into our lives. Um, We thank you, Lord, for the times you've spoken through it. We thank you for the times that you have touched lives very deeply and brought healing and encouragement. Lord, sometimes it's correction. Yet in each of these experiences of you, God, we are experiencing your love. And our Lord, we would pray that as we look at uh, the texts that are going to be brought today, that uh, you'll bring them to life. And that once again, they'll be deeply meaningful to your people. So Lord, we are open and we are ready to hear. So speak, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I have to tell you that I have... um, I've had 101 thoughts about what to say today. Um, So many thoughts have gone through my mind in these last weeks and months. Um, But in the end, I've settled on something that I learned about myself just a few weeks ago. Can you imagine doing this for 30 years and you're still learning from Scripture? It's exactly what happens and what has happened. Um, And I heard teaching by a man named Philip Yancey. Excuse me. And... uh, He's a phen- phenomenal author, if you've ever read his, his books. Uh, I would recommend that you do if you haven't. But um, he said that in the last week of Jesus' life, he, he, he left three things to his disciples. He told them, he spoke to them about three things. And of course, when you think of it in those terms, these would be critical uh, for his people. He was about to die. <clears throat> he was going to leave, uh, you know, be crucified and then resurrected and ascend to heaven. Um... And he is essentially saying to his, his people, this is how I want you to live. This is who you are to be. These are critical things because I want you to carry on the work which I have begun. <clears throat> okay, somebody needs me to get me a cup of water, please. Who's going to do that for me? Mark Yonchar, thank you. That's awesome. <clears throat> um, three critical things for you to carry on the work that I have begun. Like, you know, you think about what he said and... and, and um, the importance of the timing. And you begin to realize, my goodness, here's something to give attention to. So I thought this was good enough for Jesus to say as he was leaving his people. It's good enough for me to say as I'm leaving my people. And that's what I would like to do. And I hope it's a blessing to you. I hope it's something that will make you think about uh, where the church is heading, you know, what the church will become, and how to be the people of God. Well, this last week of Jesus in the Gospel of John begins at the beginning of chapter 13. So from chapter 13 through the crucifixion, that is his time uh, um, uh, of of a week or so. And the the first element that he brings to his disciples comes just after he has washed their feet. And you'll remember that odd experiences these disciples had. The the servants never... um, uh, were the ones who washed feet. The, The master never washed feet. It was just unheard of. But Jesus took the role of servant and he, read to, he spoke to him these words afterwards. John 13, 14 to 17. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Thank you. Thank you. So Jesus was really pointed. 
I'm going away. I'm leaving you. But here's priority number one. Serve one another. Now that might not seem dramatic or all that significant, if you would, but to Jesus it was critical. What's being described here um, is something that is at the heart of God. Do you know that he is our servant? <laughs> Jesus, the suffering servant who came and died in our place that we might be forgiven, that we might be reconciled to God. God is our servant. It's remarkable. And he calls us to be like him. You know, I want, I want to give you an illustration of this. After our last Christmas Eve service, um, you know, I went out to the car. I guess it was Friday night. I believe it's the last one. And the snow had fallen. Was there lots of snow Christmas Eve? Or was that the day before? doesn't matter. And there was about three inches of snow on my car. You know, we're all going home. We're all going to go enjoy time together with family. So I went up and I unlocked the door and I, I reached in to grab my brush. And I stood up and I closed the door. And on the other side of my car was Donald Lamb taking snow off my car. And I thought, that's it. That's exactly what I want to talk about on Sunday. You see... There was something in Donna that allowed her to say, I want to help Chris. Now, she had already served in our Christmas Eve services, as she's so ready and willing to do. And she was just on her way home, likely, as I was. <clears throat> but she noticed something. There's a lot of snow on Chris's car. <laughs> and she went to her car, I assume, got her brushed, and she was cleaning off the snow before I got to it. I want to tell you, my friends, there's something in this this reality of people um, who have the capacity to simply see a need and then act to meet it. Um, and I want to suggest to you that the critical nature of servanthood is not about the doing of it. And I recognize Jesus said to do it. The critical nature of servanthood is what is going on in the heart of the servant. See, I don't think Donna or any of you who love to serve do it because they have to. I sure hope not. But in those people who have encountered the reality of the living God, those people whose hearts have been transformed by the movement of God's Holy Spirit, a change takes place. And they come to that place where they are eager, they long to serve. They, they, they have this sort of inner dynamic that's going on. is like, where I see need, I desire to bless people. I desire to help people. I desire to make a difference out there. I'm, my friends, I want to tell you that uh, as I head away, here's an important message. Not only to do the serving, yeah, but to have a heart for service. To, to so encounter the Lord <clears throat> that you come to that place where all you want to do is to bless his people. To love them. And that brings us to the second point. John chapter 13, verses 34, 35, same, same chapter, Jesus says this. A new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this everyone will know <clears throat> that you are my disciples if you love one another. How many times did Jesus say love one another in two verses? Um, actually, in a way, it's very similar to the idea of being a servant or the idea of having this servant heart. That when God comes, he moves by his Holy Spirit, <clears throat> and people encounter this, 
I'll call it a miracle because it is that in every regard. People encounter the reality of God. They are transformed by it, by the work of God's Spirit. They come to this place where they're willing to give up a self-oriented life to live for other people, to love God, to serve their needs, to care for them in a way that is just authentic to who they are. The dynamic that is going on is that God's love, the Bible says, is poured into our hearts, but it's poured to such a degree that we can't contain it. It just flows from us. We come to that place where we're just ready to, 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 to not only care for people, to, but, but to be good to them, to love them. And I remember <clears throat> probably 25 years ago, and it really is dramatic or remarkable that the memories I've had in these last weeks, but um, I was counseling a couple who were going to get married, not necessarily from our congregation. And I was talking to them about the vows. You have to commit yourself to love somebody for a lifetime and to be faithful. And I was talking about this sense of agape love. And the uh, soon-to-be groom said to me, I don't, know, I don't know that anybody loves in that way. I don't know anybody loves expecting nothing in return. And I had to disagree with him because I know one who loved with an agape love who expected nothing in return and his name's Jesus. He came and he gave out of love for us by dying on the cross so that we might be forgiven, so that we might know the grace and the goodness of God, the reality and the power of God at work in us. My friends, I want to tell you Jesus' commandment is so clear. We have to love one another. And as I encourage you to serve one another in the days and weeks and years that are ahead, so I encourage you to love one another. As I believe Peter says deeply and from the heart. Um, and I encourage you to love your enemies as well as Jesus. Encourage them to love those who have hurt you and love those who have wronged you. See, this is, this is the miracle of the work of God within us. It's something that God enables us to do because God is present, because God is powerful, and because God has transformed. We become servants and we become people who love even those who have harmed us. So as you go forward, will you love one another deeply and from the heart? As you go forward, will you be gracious toward one another, not treating one another as they deserve to be treated? Will you be kind to one another? Will you forgive one another? Will you act in love? Then the third point that Jesus gave comes from John 17, 20 to 23. Jesus speaking. <clears throat> and he's referencing the disciples. Okay? My prayer is not for them alone, the disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And you see, the plea of Jesus at that point is for unity. His heart's desire is that his people would be united together in love. Um, grows out of the, the reality that Jesus references here. Grows out of the Trinity. Where Jesus participated in the Trinity with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. This... this intimate union of three persons, one God. Um, they loved one another. But they were also united. Jesus and the Father were one. And you know, my friends, it's critical for a church to live in unity 
because it is in unity that a church will find blessing. Psalm 133, 133 says this. How good, behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell in unity. It's like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron running down on the collar of his robes. This is abundance of blessing in that context that's being described. It is like the dew of Hermon which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there, listen to this, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Do you realize that if a congregation lives united in union with one another, in unity, that God commands his blessing upon it? It's a powerful reality. How is it that a congregation can live in unity? I want to just suggest two things very simply. Um, and the first is that people, the people of God unite around a common vision. I remember the day, this is years and years ago, when I asked myself, how does this work, this IPC thing? How does it work when the church is filled with people from various denominational backgrounds, when you have people who are Baptist and people who are Pentecostals and people who are Anglicans and people who are from a Roman Catholic background? You know, with all the different theological priorities that they might bring, Baptists bring their view of baptism and Pentecostals, the view of the Holy Spirit, and Anglicans, their sense of tradition and so forth, and I could go on. How, why does it work? And I realized that uh, the unity came from the fact that we intentionally were called to be committed to Christ and the cause of Jesus. We had built this church around that idea. We weren't going to um, speak uh, in a way that would be offensive about any of those different dynamics. We were who we were. But we, were, we called people to, listen, just live for Jesus and live for the cause of Christ. And even though we were multi-generational then and since, different age groups, we were all committed to Jesus. And he united us, and he has united us. We've all been committed to building his kingdom to the cause of Christ. I just really encourage you with all of my heart, as you serve one another and as you love one another, be committed to Jesus and his cause. Let, let that unite you. And then the other <clears throat> element of unity that I want to speak to, you know, I have, I've gone through a study with both the elders a year ago and the staff just this fall about, about unity. It's a powerful thing biblically. But can I suggest this? The, another, the other way to be unified as a congregation is to never separate yourself from another. Just refuse to do it. Um, and that can happen in a couple of ways. I've been really struck as I took the staff through this and looked at scripture again this, this fall about the critical importance of never gossiping. And it's not that big a deal. I mean, no, don't gossip. You know, you think that's just one of those little things that scripture speaks to. But the reality is when you gossip against somebody, you're taking someone else aside and you're talking about that person over there and all of a sudden you've got this group of people which might grow in number separating themselves from that person who is being spoken of. And for all we know, the other person is doing exactly the same thing and all of a sudden you've got two groups of people in the church and they're not united anymore. I think of 1 Corinthians, that church that Paul wrote to in that letter was such a disaster. So many problems and difficulties in the church. And, you know, there were some who followed Apollos and there were some who followed Paul and then there were the super spiritual folks who followed Jesus. <laughs> Paul says, don't do that. Don't divide yourself. Don't separate yourselves from one another. So, 
Can you imagine a church when gossip never happened? Ever? Wouldn't that be amazing? The other way, of course, in, in terms of unity is to come to that place where a congregation of God's people deals with conflict in a truly godly and biblical way. And you know, it's, it's really um, a really simple thing. First uh, Corinthians 5 says, if you've wronged somebody, go to them and reconcile. Uh, and if somebody's wronged you, Matthew 18, go to them and hope, hopefully find reconciliation. Such a priority in Scripture that we're called to. And again, can you imagine a church where if people are in conflict with one another, they never speak to anybody about it except the person with whom they're in conflict? It would produce an incredible thing. It's in a vision in itself that the church might live in unity. So as you serve one another, and I mean it, having so experienced the presence and the power and the transformative reality of God's Spirit at work in you, serving people, as you have experienced the love of God filling your heart, so much so that you just have to let that love flow from you into the lives of other people. So, as Ephesians 4 says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Remarkable thing. You know, in the last, uh, as I say, few weeks and months, uh, I have thought about what to say today, but I have also thought about this question. And um, I don't want to be misunderstood uh, as a plea for a pat on the back and lots of compliments to come my way. But I've asked the question, how have I done? I've been here 30 years. Like, that's crazy, isn't it? Like, that's ridiculous. But how have I done? And, you know, I've come to the conclusion it has nothing to do with the size of a building. And it has nothing to do with how much money is in the bank or, as they say, bums in the seats. Right? People here on a Sunday morning. It has nothing to do with the number of ministries that we might have initiated and, and, and carry on. I've come to the conclusion that it has everything to do with how many lives have been deeply impacted by God. Um, am I leaving behind people whose lives have become like Jesus because they have had, experienced the transformative power of God at work in them? You know, um, last Sunday somebody came to, and I'm going to be very confidential with this, not mentioning gender or name, but uh, a man came to me after the, before the service, actually. <laughs> Tell you the truth, it was a woman. And now you really don't know, do you? No, it was a man. Forget about it. Maybe I need to retire, huh? <laughs> But this person came to me uh, before the service and said, can I, can I have a minute of your time? So we stepped aside and uh, the person said, as, as uh, in reference to the Christmas Eve service, she said, uh, you know, you got me. I said, what do you mean? He said, you got me. I said, well, unpack that for me. He said, you opened a door for me. And we just talked for a few minutes, but in the end of the day, what this man communicated to me was in that service when I described how the coming of Jesus described the reality of the love of God for his, his desire to bless us, his desire that Jesus might come and that he would grow up and he would die on a cross that we might find unity with God, that we might be reconciled with God. And that that had absolutely nothing to do with our behavior. And I said, you don't get the acceptance, of, I said, you don't get the acceptance of God because of 
acting in a good way and, you, and you, you, the love of God isn't kept from you because you act in a bad way. I said, literally, it has nothing to do with our activity. It has everything to do with the character of the Lord. That God is a God of love. It just dwells in him. It's part of who he is. And out of love, God came and God saved us. And in those few moments as I spoke in that way, this person's eyes were opened, I believe, in a new way. I could see it in his eyes. And, and, and in some way, mysterious way, that miracle happened where God just took the truth from the head and it sank down into the heart and it took hold of this person's life. And there was a new and a deep understanding of God's grace. See, my friends, that's what counts. Made me think of another individual who came to this church years and years and years ago. Um, this individual had worked in another church for, for more than tw- 20 years on a part-time basis. And I happened to be preaching on grace again. Philip Yancey's What's So Amazing About Grace. It's a great book. I'd recommend it to you. And I think it was halfway through what I believe now was a four-part series. And it's amazing the detail that has come back to my mind, you know, as I think about these things. That was probably 20 years ago. But this man came to me in the middle of that series and he said, uh, you know, I've never heard this before. And I don't know whether he had heard it before or not. He might have heard it, but, it, but the God didn't somehow allow that truth to penetrate to his heart and transform him and change him. And whether he had heard it before or not doesn't matter, but in that moment, God did something powerful and real in his life. That man encountered God in a new way and his eyes were open to see the beauty of the gospel, the glory of God in the face of Christ, Paul writes. And he was changed. He was transformed. So you see, it doesn't matter how big the building or how many ministries we have, etc., etc., etc. What really matters is how many people God has impacted by his spirit, causing them to be people who now are servants who have a deep, deep desire to serve the needs of other people, whether they be physical or emotional or spiritual, the primary need, of course. Such people who have encountered God become these folks who are just filled with love. It's just as natural to love as it is to breathe. Because God's love is just, it's there and it just can't be contained. It just flows out into the lives of other people. Such people become committed to the idea of living in unity with God's people. They become committed to keeping the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So as as I wind down here, (laughs) what have I got? I'm guessing about 30 minutes. I want to bless you with this as you go forward. I really do. And I want to I want to encourage you yes to be servants toward one another. That's where the kingdom of God will come in power. And I want to bless you with the challenge to love and I want to bless you with the challenge to be united but more than that I want to I want to pray that you know the presence of God at work in your life. You see nothing else matters. Because out of that dynamic, out of that reality, everything flows. The service flows. The love flows. The commitment to unity flows. And we as the people of God are blessed. And as Jesus said, then the world will know that he was from the Father. 
I'm going to give you a verse. I asked today whether I should spend a lot of time preparing a sermon. They said, how about a short one? So you're blessed. Imagine that, Chris Little finishing with a short sermon. Miracles still happen, people. But I want to, bl- I want to read to you uh, these verses, Isaiah 43, 18 and 19. And I want you, as I do, to apply them to our lives, my own and to yours. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. But it's been, it's been good. We've got to move forward, don't we? See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. I just leave that up for me for a few minutes, but uh, that's where I'm at. Uh, I'm going to thank, after a little while, this church for various things. But I'm really looking forward to what's to come. I want you to know that. God has clearly led me um, in the way that he is leading me now. And while I love this church, it's time for me to move on. But you know what? In my life, God's doing a new thing. And I'm excited about it. It's springing up. I see it. God is making a new way for me. But you know what else? He's doing that for you too. Something new is about to unfold in this church. Young guy coming next week, right? Young guys, you know. The old guys headed out the door, ready to spend a lot of time at Tim Hortons. <laughs> Where's John Shoot? <laughs> the back. I, I bumped into John about a month ago with his buddies at Tim Hortons, and I said, John, how do you do this? Like, how do you get this organized? He said, I'll take you into training. I'll teach you how to make this happen. <laughs> but Mike's coming next week, right? And it's only 12 months, I know. It's a transitionary ministry. It's intentionally intended to be that way. But after that, then this church will call a more long-term pastor to this uh, congregation. And while we look back with gratitude for what has been, and we do, it's time to look ahead and to see the new thing that God will do in this place. I am absolutely confident that you as a congregation will be blessed in the years ahead. I know it to the core of my being. Because God has been at work and he's not going to stop just because Chris Little's not here. Believe me. (laughs) You know why? Because he loves you. And he's ready to continue to serve you as you live before him in unity. So I say to you, go forward with God. Go forward with optimism. Go forward with a lot of gratitude in your heart for what has taken place, but go forward knowing that God goes with you. He's the shepherd. He's leading you. He's taking you forward to a new thing. And I want you to perceive it. And I want you to embrace it with all of your hearts. And I want you to live it out. Discover that reality. Kind of never thought of it right now, but it's like the mother you know, bird in the nest wanting to push the little ones so that they can fly, right? That's what it feels like to me right now. But God's got a future for you. And I will be praying for you. And I, I hope and I, I have a deep sense in my heart that, uh, boy, the f- future is going to be good as God leads you forward 
and as God continues to bless. You know, my friends, a little more to come, a few more thank yous to be given, which will be heartfelt and sincere from me. But I want you to know that uh, these have been great years. And I am deeply, deeply thankful to this church. Uh, and I know the years ahead will be just as good. You will be blessed as you continue to encounter the reality of God in your hearts, as you are transformed by him, <laughs> and as you live out the reality of being the church of Christ in the way that he wants you to do so. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for these years. And yes, we thank you, Lord, for the, the memories and the adventures we've been on. But Lord, most of all, we thank you for those incredibly precious moments when you, by your Spirit, have reached into the hearts of your people and changed them. When you have worked uh, through your word and when you have taken people from being selfish to being selfless so that they might serve, when you have transformed people's hearts, you know, who have lived for themselves so that they might live for others in love, or where you have taken people where it's so natural and so easy to be divided and you have said, no, it's time to love and forgive. We thank you, our God, for those times when lives have been made new, when people have been changed by the presence and the power of God. God, I pray for this church. And I pray for just a huge blessing upon it in these days ahead and these years ahead. Lord, come by your Holy Spirit and move powerfully, continuing to transform lives, opening the eyes of people to see and understand your grace, changing hearts so that people become like Christ himself. Bless this church, Lord, by your goodness, by your grace, and in your love. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.